But if it's preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive." But each in turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him, then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him so that God may be all in all. And I also want you to hear the gospel uh, reading from John chapter three, verse 36. You'll also see this on the screen. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. Let us pray. God, we give you thanks again for your presence here in this space, and I pray that you would add your blessing to the reading of this scripture, your holy word. Where we are empty, would you fill us? Where we are weak, would you strengthen us? Where we are wrong, would you correct us? And would you send us out once more? God, I pray for myself that you'd speak through me or in spite of me, but may it be your message that's delivered. We love you and trust you. It's in Jesus' name. Let all God's people say amen. Well, friends, it led me to uh, reflect a little bit as we're talking about the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. It led me to reflecting over uh, one of the great honors and opportunities that we have to be involved in your lives as pastors in this calling is through the difficulty of celebrating someone's life who has gone before you. Uh, To be a part of the celebration of life and funerals and the celebration of resurrection. It is a, a difficult journey, but one that I can't believe I get to be present uh, with you as you wrestle with some of these things. And one of the interesting parts of this, and I know Mark could testify, is that way more captive than a Sunday morning is the audience of a funeral. Uh, Because there are so many life's lessons, there are so many hard realities that we face right there in the room when we are gathered in that space. And I've done, in just a a few years of being a pastor, I've done several dozen of these funerals, and I'll tell you after, we've seen a lot of things in funerals, a lot of interesting stories, but in all of them, almost without um, exception, that no matter the faith in the room, no matter what people believe before they get there, they desperately lean into the Christian message of resurrection. And I wonder, I've often wondered why that is. I think it's because we are beings that desperately need hope. And so when we are literally faced with death, we want to believe the message 
the Christian message of resurrection from the dead, of eternal life, that this life means something even more and lives on. And so it's interesting that folks that wouldn't believe anything else in the creed, but, but if we were to give a resurrection sermon, people desperately want to hear about heaven and what it means to maybe be with God. And I think that's because hope is so important to us. And y'all, we put our hope in a lot of things. And it, it's not bad to put hope in things. Like, example, for me, I, Lauren and I are investing money so that hopefully our kids can go to college. We have hope that we might able to do well to help our kids in the future, right? Many of us have hope in our career that we can be successful, that we can go out into the world. We have hope that we can be parents that will help steward our kids uh, to live meaningful lives in the world. We have hope in our health, right? Many of us have hope that we have the bodies and the health to live a life that is full that we want to. The problem is, is not that we have hope in these things. The problem becomes when these general hopes become our ultimate hope. Mark and I can talk to you about this, but we, he and I both moved here from Houston last year and we were pastors in Houston when Hurricane Harvey wiped out that city. And we got to pastor with people, countless folks that had unfortunately put hope in career and homes and things that they have accumulated, maybe above the hope, the ultimate hope we have in Christ. And so when a natural disaster happened, we were found hopeless, right? It was a burden that was far too much for us to carry. Some of us do that with our health and then all of a sudden a diagnosis comes or something happens and we're left wondering, what, how can I have purpose? How can I keep moving on? Today what we talk about is for all of us, our ultimate hope is in the resurrection of the body and the eternal life. And there is nothing that can take that away. Our ultimate hope is in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. And what I'm gonna do this morning is I'm gonna take you all the way to the future and then bring it all the way to the present because our future hope shapes our present experience and how we walk. More than that, our future hope lives in us now. And so we begin with, I believe in the resurrection of the body. Weeks ago, we talked about Christ's resurrection and we wanted to stress the belief of a literal resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why is that so important? Because this is the linchpin of our faith. That's why Paul is gonna be aggressive in 1 Corinthians 15. He's gonna use these rhetorical devices. He's gonna ask a question and then slam the door shut on the question for us, almost like he's having a dialogue by himself because the resurrection of Jesus Christ means everything. If that falls... If we turn our nose up to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it has implications on everything else about this Christian life. What Paul's gonna say is if we don't believe in the resurrection of Christ, we are still in our sins. It can't just be a metaphor because it shapes everything else. Look at what he says in verse 13 and 14. If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. We joke often, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then why are you here right now? Go to brunch, sleep in. Because if he hasn't been raised from the dead, no feel good message today is going to help us out of our addictions. It's gonna help us out of the power of sin. No feel good message is gonna restore your marriage or it's gonna help you walk in life today. 
It shapes everything else around it. And so I want to talk about the resurrection these two ways. One, what is the resurrection? Do we believe in the resurrection of the body? What does that mean? And secondly, why is this our ultimate hope? So what is the resurrection? The undercurrent, friends, of the entire New Testament is is built on this belief. See, what happens with the New Testament apostles and, and Paul and those that are around Jesus firsthand or maybe uh, are around those disciples that are around Jesus, what happens is they see, they experience this journey with Jesus where they leave everything in their homes, they leave their family, they go and follow this person who they believe to be the Jewish Messiah that's going to restore all of Israel and is going to bring them back to where they're supposed to be uh, as a nation and as a people. And they follow this man as their slowly starting to get understand what Jesus is about and then he dies he's killed by the government and by their own faith leaders and he dies on a cross and he's buried in a tomb and then he's raised again and they get to see him the resurrected Jesus it's amazing some of them can't recognize him at first Mary thinks he's the gardener at the tomb others have a meal with him before their eyes are open to see him people get to touch his scars we're going to talk about that experience with the resurrection but then Jesus leaves after a few days and they're commissioned by the Holy Spirit to go out in the world and to be the presence of Christ in the world. That's the church. And then they have to think about what does this resurrection mean for us? What does it mean for us? And and the whole New Testament is wandering through that, is shaping it still. None of them can tell us fully what the resurrection is going to be like. The closest we get is 1 Corinthians 15, when Paul takes a look at it. And I want you to see what he says in verse 42 through 44. So it will be with the resurrection of the body. The body that is sown perishable is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So what is the resurrection? What is Paul doing here? And I want you to get lost in the English kind of translations of spiritual body. We don't become like some ghostly figures, okay? That's not what that means. There's not this ethereal experience in heaven where we're playing harps and floating in the clouds. That's not what's happening here. But Paul uses a metaphor to try and teach us about the resurrected body. He tries to explain it using the image of a seed. Did you catch it? Sowing and raising, sowing and raising. The body now is like a seed and the life of the resurrection is like the tree. There's an unimaginable difference between the seed and the tree. One doesn't see a seed and know what the tree is going to look like, right? And yet they're the same. There's continuation. There's continuity. They do not look alike. You would not be able to guess the appearance of the tree by looking at the seed, yet their identity is the same. In the same way, Paul says, our mortal bodies will be planted and will be raised immortal in Christ. Paul calls this a mystery. In the coming life, we will be the same identical persons that we are now, yet unimaginably different. We will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. There is continuity with our bodies, our physical mind, body, soul resurrected, but it will also be completely different. Y'all, that should be good news. Some of us, our bodies are are ones that we're ready to move on from, right? And I don't mean like self-conscious. You're like, I can't do the stairs anymore, John Wayne. We, we know in our minds and our bodies and our souls that there are things in this life, including our own mortal bodies, they're not as they're supposed to be. 
And we see this beautiful picture in Jesus, in the first fruits of the resurrection. The resurrected Jesus comes back in this body that is almost the same because they touch the scars. They're able to recognize him, and yet some are not able to recognize him. He's not in a locked room, and then all of a sudden he's in a locked room, right? And yet he's eating on the beach in John's gospel, having fish. It's so interesting, right? What we see here is this beautiful picture of the resurrected body that has continuation. Because listen, your bodies are good. They were made by God. But there's also wrong that's happened in our life, in our world. And I'm stressing this because I want you to see that Jesus's death to life is not a resuscitation. This is important, y'all. What we see in John's gospel when Jesus goes to the tomb of Lazarus is he tells the dead man, Lazarus, to breathe again and come to life, but that brother had to die again. That stinks, doesn't it? What we have in Jesus is a completely different thing than resuscitation. It is a beautiful, eternal experience in our bodies as we are created to be with God for all time. You will not be resuscitated. Someone should say amen to that, right? You will be resurrected. So that's what resurrection is about. The Bible tells us that to, to be apart from the body is to be with the Lord, but the Bible also talks about the first sleep. That's what Paul's talking about in Corinthians. To, to go to sleep is also to, it's almost like we're asleep for a moment and then when Jesus returns, we're raised again for all time with him. And when Jesus comes back, we will have a resurrected experience of eternal life when this heaven and earth meet again again and we are in all of his glory. Well, why is this our ultimate hope? Well, I want you to see where this takes place in Revelation uh, chapter 21, the perfect vision of the heaven and earth coming together. Why is this our ultimate hope? Look at what John says as God speaks through him. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the older, the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making all things new. And then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of water of life. Friends, for those of us that are victorious in Christ, we will inherit this new city and this new experience. We will hear God say, I am your God and you are my children. I want you to see some implications of Revelation chapter 21. Notice that he says there will be no more death or even symptoms of death in the world. I need you to see that today, that's good news. Some of us, this spectrum of old age is still a little bit further from us. But some of us in the room know what it's like for death to be or the symptoms of death to be impeding into our lives. And this may not be on all of our radar but it is a future that all of us will meet. 
And what he says in Revelation 21 is that will be done. You won't see that anymore. The other thing that we see in Revelation 21, Mark and I can attest to this, if you do this for any amount of time, you begin to have to do these celebrations of life for people that should not have been taken when they're taken, right? For young people or, or people in the middle of life facing some kind of difficult battle with an illness or a disease or someone who's here one day and all of a sudden gone the next. And many of you have experienced it. I'm not saying this to trigger something in your heart or trigger something into your mind, but I just want to remind us that our ultimate hope in the resurrection of the body is that for those that are in Christ that have faced those things, it will be wiped away and that we will be with Christ for all time. There will no longer be cancer. There will no longer be illness. There will no longer be addiction, all tears, all pain, all mourning, no reason for celebration of life services because we will always be celebrating that life. And this works out in practical ways. The symptoms of death is all around us. Let me give you a practical example from our own life. Our son, Luke, is three and a half years old, and when he was nine months old, he was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, an autoimmune disease where his body begins to attack a part of his body that he needs to thrive and flourish. He didn't do anything to deserve that. He didn't make dietary decisions that led to that. It just started to happen. It is the symptom of death in this world, and I know there are people in this room that have faced these kind of things in this life, and what we are saying today is there will come a day where there is no more autoimmune diseases. There's no more disabilities. There's no more of these challenges anymore. They were not how God intended it to be. They are symptoms of death and death is not of God. And God proves it when Jesus is raised from the dead. And he says, there will be a day when there will be no more of this. There will be no more funerals. There will not be celebration of life because we will always be celebrating life in him. And forever we will be in the presence of God as God's children. This is why it's our ultimate hope. And nothing can supersede it because this is the one thing that can't be taken away. I believe in the resurrection of the body. Secondly, I believe in everlasting life or life eternal. We say in our creed, we say in our creed that we believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. And life everlasting means what it does, but it can kind of get in the way, at least in my mind, for what's intended in our modern kind of thinking. I hear life everlasting and it just feels like life gets extended forever. And some of us have had at least one day in our life where we're like, nah, I don't want that, <laughs> right? I don't want to just go on forever. I don't want to deal with this. There's a, a, um, an Argentine writer, Jorge Borges, that tells the story, a mythical story of a man who drinks from a river of immortality and becomes immortal. But without death, life lacks definition for him. It doesn't mean anything. And one day the man learns of another river that can take immortality away. And so for centuries, he wanders the earth and drinks from every spring and river seeking to end the curse of endless life. Death, writes Borges, may Makes men precious and pathetic. Their ghostliness is touching. Any act they perform may be their last. It's a take. It's someone trying to understand that just endless life with no other thing is not to be desired. But where he is misled, it's not death that makes our life meaningful. It's God's eternal life that is in us that makes our life meaningful. 
And for so many of us, we don't want life extended because we've been walking in death and symptoms of death for too long. You cannot make life better just by increasing it. But that's why eternal life actually means something so much more for us. Eternal life is about a present experience now. I'm trying with everything, we are trying with everything to get you to feel this, to get you to understand that heaven is not just a future reality, but it's something that reaches down into the current. It transforms our hearts. It changes everything now. You can see it in 100 places, but look at two in John's gospel. 336, where we started earlier, whoever believes in the son has eternal life present, has eternal life, but whoever rejects the son will not see life for God's wrath remains on them. Look at 524. Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who has sent me has eternal life and will not, and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. These are current realities. It is not forever believes in me will have eternal life. It is whoever believes in me has eternal life now and has already crossed over from death to life. Church, do you, do you believe that today? That for those in Christ, it is not a future reality alone. It is a reality now that you now walk in freedom, that you now walk in forgiveness, that you now walk in the presence of God now. Eternal life is for us right now. These are current realities. Listen, if you are overcome by anxiety and fear and nervousness, if you're burned out, if you're overworked, I'm not talking about clinical parts of this. I'm talking about just the everyday thing that so many of us walk on, walk in. I wonder if this is a check engine light showing us that we have been putting things into our ultimate hope category that don't belong there. Because when our career becomes our ultimate hope, when even loved ones around us become our ultimate hope, when our family, when our extracurriculars, when these things in our life become our ultimate hope, they are fleeting and they can be gone tomorrow. But when our ultimate hope becomes the one thing that has already been achieved and accomplished in Jesus Christ, that is already a reality for you, there is no diagnosis, there is no natural disaster, there is nothing that can separate you from that love and that truth and that reality. And there's a chance for some of us that we've been putting our general hopes into the place where ultimate hope belongs. And I want you to see that your fear and anxiety or whatever you're facing, it might be an indicator that I've got to rethink some things. I've got to check the inventory here. I've got to see what I'm believing and where I'm aligning myself with. And friends, as we come to a close, not only on this sermon or this series, I just want to challenge you for a little bit. Anybody know what the last word of the creed is? Bonus points. Amen. We got one. You'll get your gold star after the service. You've done so well, class. I'm thankful for you. I'm just kidding. Amen, right? Does anybody know what amen means? It literally means yes. That's it. So when someone's praying in the room, 
Like Mark prayed for us in the room, when we say amen at the end, it is putting our exclamation point on what they're saying. It is joining ourselves to the very prayer. It is putting our flag in the ground saying, yes, this is what I believe in. So when we say amen to the creed, when you say the words amen, we are staking our lives on these claims. We are saying, yes, this is what we believe. And I just want to challenge you for a few minutes. I think in many, many, Many ways, there are some of us that will sit on this stool. Do you remember the stool from the first week? If you don't, let me reintroduce you because you're like, this guy's weird. So what we talked about the first week of the Creed series is that in a lot of ways, faith is like trying to sit in something we can't see. But the good news is that the historic church and the local church gathered can help me find this stool. And so in a lot of ways, we begin saying things like what we've said in this creed, and it's like finding this stool and sitting in it again, right? And I, I just want to challenge you that I think there's some in the room, maybe many of us, that with our mouths and with our minds, we sit in this stool. But when we walk out this door, we live a life that's different and sitting in this stool is like saying, a yes, is saying yes to this creed. It's saying yes to this faith that we've been called to. It's giving God our biggest yes. And I just want to challenge you today. When we say, I believe in these things, it is not just a mental exercise. It is not just a, this makes sense, and so intellectually, I'm going to go there. When we say, I believe, we are giving our lives in obedience and allegiance to walk with Jesus. And I just wonder for how many of us have we not done the work to understand that there is an infinitely powerful God and an intimately personal Father who loves you, that there is a Jesus that really lived and really died and really rose so that we might have freedom, but that Jesus is king and he sits at the right hand of God the Father and he rules and reigns and he will come back again. I wonder how many of us have sat in this reality that he also gave his, his life in the Holy Spirit into us so that we might walk with him all of our days so that we might be his presence in the world. I wonder how many of us believe with our bodies and our lives that this is the church, this, this is where we gather as a family, where we hold each other, where we take a brother and say, don't go down that road. It leads to death. Come this way. It leads to life. I wonder how many of us today actually believe in the forgiveness of sins, that you can not only find forgiveness in the real Jesus, but you could also walk in freedom today. I wonder how many of us believe in the resurrection of the body and the eternal life that's available for you now. Because friends, for this to not just be some decent sermon series that the preacher bring, we have to walk in this reality with our lives. And since we've gotten here, we've told our team, I don't even want to see the uh, church attendance numbers on Monday morning. We are not going to measure ourselves by how full this room is. We are going to measure ourselves by how well we are ushering people into the presence of God, how well we are helping people to walk in obedience, to sit in this stool, to order their lives in a way that's not religious and, and just religiosity, but it's about abundant life. It's about finding 
seeing God in our spouses, in our loved ones. It's about living out our faith in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods. That's how we'll measure what we're doing here in CORE and at Marvin UMC. But the challenge for us today is to ask the question, is my amen to God the biggest amen in my life? Because if it is, that means some of our yeses need to be no's. It means we need to lay down some stuff. We need to reorder some things. If my yes to him is the biggest yes in my life, it means that you are walking after him with all that you have. That's not to add a burden to you. He actually says, as we'll talk about in the next sermon series, my way is easy. The yoke is light. Come to me. You are weary and tired because you've been running your own race. And so the challenge today is where's your yes? When you say amen, do you believe it today? Do you want to live into it today? Do you want to say yes again today? That's the calling for all of us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, let all God's people say amen.